Today we'll be reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. Good morning, everyone. And happy Easter. A number of years ago, my brother got married and I reckon the wedding didn't quite turn out the way that he was hoping for. His fiancée and he, they were, they were hoping to have a wedding on the beach. And so they got married at a place called Stemble Park. And they were going to have the reception in the park just behind the beach. But it turned out to be one of those days that were really wet and really windy. In fact, the rain was blowing in sideways. And so we were standing on the beach. Uh, People had umbrellas, but they were turned inside out. And in the end, we had to abandon those plans and just end up back in the park underneath one of those kind of picnic shelters, all crammed in there, huddled together, trying to keep warm. As the rain came in sideways, we were struggling to hear the vowels over the wind. It was not at all what my brother was hoping for. I reckon for many of us today, this is not an Easter that we were hoping for. Uh, We probably had different plans to this. Some of us would have been on, on a break right now on holidays. Some of you would have been overseas. In fact, some of you have invested a fair bit of money that that's been all but lost. And then others of us are facing quite serious and, and challenging situations. Some of us have lost work or had our hours cut back. Some of us have got small businesses that are, are suffering terribly. Some of us are, are worried for our own health, worried for the health of those we love. For others of us, this isn't quite 
what we were planning for the Easter break, homeschooling's kind of already got to us, or the isolation has got to us, and our mental health has, has already taken a turn for the worse. For many of us, how the world is right now is not at all what we would hoping were hoping would be the case. Well, today, this Easter, I want to take you on a bit of a journey and walk with the disciples who ended up in a situation that they really, really weren't hoping for. Today, I want us to do two things. First, I want us to look at how the events surrounding the resurrection took place, and we're going to see that in John's account of what happened. And second, I want us to begin to look at what the resurrection means for us, and especially what it means for us when things aren't turning out for us how we'd hoped they would. That's what we're going to do today. The first and clear point of our passage today is that Jesus came back to life in history. John, he could have written a kind of theological reflection of the resurrection or a kind of philosophical or a scientific kind of reflection, but he doesn't do that. He gives us the details of what he actually saw. Now, he's been doing this already. Have a look at John 19, verse 35, where John gives us the details of of what he actually saw when Jesus was crucified. In 19, verse 35, he writes, The man who saw it has given testimony. He's the man. And his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you also may believe. John seems to be working from this logic. I know it happened. I saw it happen. And I'm going to tell you how I came to believe so that you also can believe. And in fact, a little bit later on, he writes in John 20, 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wants us to believe and he wants us to believe by seeing why he came to believe. And so the first half of our passage is all about how John first came to believe. And for him, it was something that might sound really weird, actually, really strange to us. It was because of linen. That's why he first came to believe. Let's have a look. Have a look at John 20, verse 1 with me. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, you can see up on your screen a picture of what a tomb would have looked like back then. And this is a picture of the inside. Bodies would have been placed on the shelves and a year later their bones would be gathered into ossuaries like you can kind of see here. Come back with me to what happens In verse 2, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Do you see Mary's theory here? She thinks somebody has taken Jesus' body. Probably she's got in mind grave robbers or something like that. And it's not such a terrible theory because the spices and and the linen with which he would have been wrapped, uh, that that would be quite valuable. And so people did actually steal 
bodies. There were actually grave robbers. It was a significant enough crime that uh, Emperor Claudius in about AD 50 had this marble tablet engraved that you can see here. It says that tomb robbers would face the death penalty themselves. Now, Mary's mind jumps to this possibility and, and she doesn't seem to be able to get this idea out of her head. Peter and John, they decide at this point that they're going to check this out. And so they both run to the tomb. John gets there first, probably because he's younger than Peter. And he sees the linen lying there, but he doesn't go into the tomb. Peter, when he arrives, being Peter, he rushes straight in. Have a look at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. It literally says that the head cloth was lying there, folded up or rolled up. Now, why does John include these details? Something about them struck him, as we see in verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. That's John. He saw and believed. Why? What is it about the linen that, that finally tips John over the edge? Well, it's because what grave robbers would leave the linen and the spices that would probably have been wrapped in there? The, the body itself, it's got no value to grave robbers. The linen and, and the spices were the only valuable thing. Or if for some reason someone were to move Jesus' body to another tomb, why would they unwrap him first and leave again the, the linen and the spices behind? Now, if someone were to move the body and for some reason they, they did leave the linen, why would they leave it neatly? These are the kind of details that, that stuck out to John that, that first tipped him over the edge to believe. See, grave robbers wouldn't risk doing that at the tomb. Or if they did, for some reason, unwrap him there, they'd do it in a hurried, panicked kind of way for fear of being caught and, and killed. They wouldn't do it in an orderly, neat kind of way. All of what John had seen from his time with Jesus, all what he was now seeing at the tomb... All of it led him to this conclusion, this one conclusion in his mind. It tipped him over the edge and he found himself believing Jesus really had risen from the dead. Not in an, in an airy-fairy kind of way, you know, not in a, a sense of, oh, Jesus is looking down on us from above. Not like that at all. John finds himself believing in a real physical resurrection of Jesus' body. And 12, 12 hours later, his belief was confirmed as he, he could look Jesus in the face. For John and, and for all the believers back then, the, the historical resurrection was a massive event. And it's critical that we see it happened in history. You know, at the very, the very least, a thorough historical investigation will show you that the disciples really believed Jesus rose again. And that was a belief they really believed and were willing to die for. Now, I've heard it said, so what? There are thousands of religious people who would die for their religion, who do die for their religion. That doesn't make it true. Now, that's a good point. 
But these guys, these disciples, they weren't dying for a concept or a philosophy. They were dying for what they claimed to have seen with their own eyes. They weren't even really dying for a religion. They were dying for the claim, I saw a man alive again after he died. Not from a distance, not just once, not in a dream. I saw him with my own eyes many times. I touched him. I saw him with others up to 500 people at the one time. Their lives were transformed by this claim. They were dying for something that they saw with their own eyes. That's completely different. Now, this order caused you to think about that if you're someone who is not sure about the resurrection. John's belief and, and the belief of, of, of so many held with such a massive impact was that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And John tells us that he's telling us these details so that we too might believe. As we've seen, John tells us how the resurrection events unfolded from his perspective. He tells us what he saw and, and, and how he first came to believe. But he also goes beyond this in this passage by beginning to tell us what the resurrection means. And what he says is that the resurrection not merely happened in history, but it transforms history. John starts to explain the significance of Jesus' resurrection, just how massive it is, through Mary's encounter with Jesus. John and Peter, they head back into the city, but Mary, she stays outside the tomb crying. And when the angels ask her why she's crying, she, she again says, because they've taken my Lord away, I don't know, don't know where they've put him. She's holding to that, that theory that his body has been taken away. And then she sees Jesus himself alive, resurrected, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener and, and still she holds to that theory that, that someone has taken him away. And so she asks Jesus himself, thinking he's the gardener. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And at this point, Jesus says to her, Mary. And finally, she lets go of that theory and she realizes that this is Jesus resurrected. And then Mary does two things instinctively. First, have a look. She says in verse 16, she turns to Jesus and she cries out in, in Aramaic, her, her mother tongue, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Instinctively, she calls him teacher, but she misses the true significance of who he really is. Teacher just doesn't go far enough for who this resurrected person there is. But there's another thing she does by instinct. She, she clings to Jesus, kind of like a parent would when, when a child nearly gets hit by a car or something like that, when they, they think they've nearly lost a child. By instinct, they cling to them. And we see this uh, in, in verse 17. Jesus says to Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, this is a little bit tricky to understand because why is it that Jesus tells her not to touch him? Is it like he's kind of untouchable now that he's resurrected? It, it can't be that because just a few verses later, Jesus says to Thomas, 
touch me. Now, what's going on here is actually both Thomas and Mary have missed the significance of the resurrection. Uh, she's responded instinctively, but it's not enough of a response. She's clinging to Jesus because she thinks she might lose him again. But what she's missed is that Jesus is resurrected now. He, he's not just going to disappear until that point where he ascends to his father. He is going to be with them bodily, albeit on and off again. But he's not just going to evaporate or disappear. This resurrection is real. It's solid. It's tangible. So she doesn't need to cling on to him like she can somehow keep and hold him. He really is alive. He really is resurrected for good. Thomas, he just couldn't believe the resurrection could happen until with his own eyes he had seen Jesus and with his own hands he touched, he doubted. And so Jesus corrects his misunderstanding by saying, touch me, see, it really is real. I really am resurrected. But notice what Jesus says to Mary here, because this shows some of just how significant the resurrection is. He says to her in verse 17, Go instead to my brothers and and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. How many times do you reckon that Jesus talks about God as his Father in the Gospel of John? Lots, heaps, all the time he's, he's calling God his Father. How many times in the Gospel of John do you reckon Jesus talks about God being the father of the disciples? None. This is the only one. Here, John is starting to show the significance of of Jesus' resurrection. It, It transforms everything. What he's done at the cross and at the resurrection means that now the disciples can share in the relationship that he has with the Father. They can now call God their own Father. The relationship is completely restored. Jesus has restored everything. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary has responded to Jesus out of instinct, calling him teacher, calling Uh, clinging to him, whereas Thomas, who had had more time to reflect on what it would actually mean if Jesus was resurrected from from the dead, he says to Jesus when he sees him, when he touches him, my Lord and my God. That's the significance of the resurrection. See, through the resurrection, God has transformed this world. The cross is God saying no to our rejection of him our corruption of this world. The cross is God saying no to all the things that that are terrible in this world, to sickness, to sadness, no to loneliness, no to death. But the resurrection is God saying yes to this world, yes to how he always intended things to be. The resurrection is how God is bringing about the transformation of this world, where Jesus is the Lord and the God of this world who will eradicate sickness, eradicate sadness, eradicate every sad and evil and terrible thing in this world one day when he returns. That's the significance of the resurrection. 
That's the significance of what we celebrate today at Easter. So what does this mean for us in our day-to-day lives now? Well, first of all, it means instinct is not necessarily the best way to respond to Jesus. Maybe your natural instinct is, is just to ignore Jesus or to give him some significance in your life, but, but, but not a great significance. If Jesus really is resurrected from the dead, like he is, like John saw, then he's not of some significance. He is of complete significance. He is the Lord and the God of this universe. How we respond to him is incredibly important. If you want to respond to Jesus or find out more about the evidence for his resurrection, why don't you tick the box when you fill out the communication form that you'd like to hear more about Jesus? For those of us who've heard Jesus and we've come to Jesus as our Lord and God, That means for us that one day we'll be raised to be a part of the new world that he's bringing about. And that makes a huge difference, actually, to how we live life now. All the time you hear people say, live in the moment, you know, get off your iPhone and and make the most of life right now. Live every day like it's your last. And, And there's a lot of truth in that kind of thinking. But there's also an enormous pressure. And very easily things can pan out different to how we were hoping, no matter how much we try to live in the moment, no matter how much we try to cram into each and every minute in life. The beautiful thing about having Jesus as your Lord and God is the relief of handing over our days and hours and minutes and moments to him. Life is not found in cramming our moments full of all the, all the things that we should. Life is not found in the moment, actually. It's found in Jesus. It's found in believing in him. It's found in what he's done for us at the cross and what he's won for us in the resurrection. Life is found in him crying out to us. This is not the end. There's more to life to come. Now, can you see what this means for us for each moment? If we get this clear in our heads, we can actually give ourselves to the moment more than anyone else. Because we're not trying to take from each moment what will give us life and and make us full. Instead, when our life's found safe in Christ, we can actually give ourselves to each moment in this crisis, like at the moment. Not too many people, I don't reckon, are thinking on their bucket list they'd like to spend six months isolated at home with internet speeds that are rivaling dial-up days. Maybe some introverts are jumping up and down, but most of us are hard, are finding it hard. But these are the times that God has given us. In Lord of the Rings, Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that's given us. Jesus, by his resurrection, he says to us, This life is not the end. We can actually give ourselves to each moment, knowing that our lives belong to that day when Jesus returns and this world is transformed to be what God wants it to be. We can be generous. We can make sacrifices. We can even pour out our life right now instead of trying to stockpile moments and experiences and pleasures 
we can get on with loving God and loving people in our homes, in our workplaces, via technology, knowing that Jesus has said to us, this is not the end. There is more to come. Life with God as our Father forever.